You're listening to On the Record, the daily Iowans news podcast where we recap the top headlines of the week. We've got a big show this time, as the past week has seen a lot of new developments and big stories from our reporters. Daily Iowan Editor-in-Chief Marissa Payne will talk about the financial hit Iowa's public universities have taken due to the COVID-19 pandemic. News reporter Mary Hartel will talk about the expected dip in international student enrollment at the University of Iowa. Politics Editor Caleb McCullough discusses Iowa's plan to partially reopen starting today and what that could mean for Iowa workers. And Sports Editor Robert Reed recaps the Hawkeye football players selected in the NFL Draft. But first, we're going to be hearing from a very familiar voice talk about his story about home drinking amid social distancing. I'm your producer, Andy Mitchell, and whether you're listening to us in the car or at home, we hope you enjoy the show. Hi, my name is Charlie Peckman, and I'm the host of the On the Record podcast and a senior reporter at The Daily Iowan. This past week, I wrote a story about how Iowans are starting to transfer their drinking habits to home as the bars and restaurants in the Hawkeye State are closing due to the coronavirus pandemic. The story came to me in kind of an unconventional way. It was 4 p.m. on a rainy Tuesday afternoon when I held the come-and-go door open for a college-age student who was holding a half-dozen cans of Four Loco, which is a caffeinated liquor-infused concoction that remains a favorite among college students. I asked him if he was stocking up, and he said, Yeah, man, you've got to be ready for the quarantine. This got me thinking about how, as Iowans are transitioning to working from home and downtown bars are closed to the public, recent surveys suggest that they are transitioning their drinking habits as well. According to a recent poll conducted by Alcohol.org, 47% of Iowans are drinking alcohol while working from home, or rather drinking alcohol during normal business hours. Of the 3,000 workers surveyed, Beer seems to be the primary choice, and one out of five respondents said that they stockpiled liquor before the state's dine-in restaurants and bars temporarily closed their doors due to the coronavirus pandemic. Shortly after Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds closed non-essential businesses, bars and restaurants that were ordered to cease dine-in service could sell alcoholic beverages with drive-through and carry-out orders. This executive order, which aimed at bolstering cash flow for affected businesses, applies to any establishment that holds a Class C liquor license. This designation normally allows bars and restaurants to sell wine, beer, and liquor for consumption on the premises and unopened beer and wine coolers for takeout. I spoke to Tom Lally, a sales manager at Okaboji Wines, who said that half of Okaboji's sales come from restaurants, and although the temporary closures concerned him extensively, he added that individual sales have remained consistent during the COVID-19 pandemic. He also referenced a recent Nielsen poll that said that liquor sales were up roughly 60% in March, with a, quote, sweet spot price of between $11 and $20 for a bottle of wine. As a sales manager at Okaboji, Lolly added that he has guided many customers through the exploration of new varieties of wine throughout the pandemic. I also spoke with Doug Alberhaski, a manager and third-generation owner at John's Grocery in Iowa City. And he said the community support that he has felt during the pandemic has been moving. As a third-generation owner of John's Grocery, he added that it has been, quote, inspiring to see people shopping at local grocery stores for their daily needs, including wine, of course. People have been stepping up, he said. Our business is unique in the fact that in normal times, a large portion of our business is student-related. With that shifted as students moved home, 
our liquor and beer sales side of the business has been fairly consistent. To Alberhasky, the realization by many Iowa City residents of the important role local businesses play in the community is of the utmost importance. Paired with this, however, is an equally important realization that supply chains have been as impacted by the virus as the establishments they service. Lolly from Okaboji Wines also echoed this sentiment, adding that he hopes that support for locally owned businesses does not dwindle once the coronavirus closures diminish. As for the perfect stay-at-home bottle, he recommends something light. A Pinot Noir or a Rosé, perhaps, he said. We could all use a little relaxation right now. Thank you for listening. I'm Marissa Payne, the editor-in-chief of The Daily Iowan. Yeah, so the Board of Regents Universities, uh, which includes University of Iowa, University of Northern Iowa, and Iowa State University, all um, their institution heads updated the Board of Regents on Thursday um, about the financial impact that they're grappling with because of COVID-19 and their efforts to respond to that. And, you know, that's included shutting down campus and having people move out of residence halls, refunding them a bit for that, um, moving summer instruction online, some canceled athletic events. So there have been a number of ways that they've responded to that. Um, Collectively, they reported around $190 million in revenue lost or in expenses because of COVID-19. And that's not including the UI healthcare enterprise. Um, So for the University of Iowa, the impact is around $76 million in lost revenue and expenses from um, the period from March through August, um, around 16 million of that is just from refunding students partially for their spring housing and dining contracts. Um, and keep in mind, that's also around the same amount that the University of Iowa received through the federal coronavirus aid and aid relief and economic security act. Um, Half of those funds will have to go to students in direct emergency aid, and the other half of that is up to the institution's discretion to use. So students can apply for funds um, beginning May 4th, and they have to show that they're facing a financial hardship because of COVID-19 specifically, um, whether that's like a lost job or their parents have lost a job or they've had health care expenses from this. Um, how the university is preparing to model their finances in the future because of this. Um, Bruce Harold shared that they're proceeding without even modeling international students in their financial planning, um, basically because, you know, there's travel restrictions right now and so much uncertainty over how long those will remain in place and, you know, whether inter- international students can even get their visas in time to come here. Um, they're not as concerned... Um, about like returning student enrollment and Harold said that graduate and professional student enrollment is holding steady um, but they're going to see somewhere around 10% fewer new incoming students um, for this upcoming fall semester. Obviously that will take a hit to tuition revenue um, and also on the tuition front this wasn't part of the Thursday meeting um, but the Board of Regents released tuition documents after with their plan for tuition rates in the fall. And currently they're recommending no tuition increases, um, though the the documents indicated that they could reevaluate spring tuition rates in the fall um, as they learn more information about COVID-19 and we kind of see where things are headed by then. 
Um, but they basically wanted to recognize, like, this is a really uncertain time for students and families. So um, at least for the fall, no tuition increases are planned for now. The Board of Regents will vote on that um, at their June meeting, take a final vote, though. But they will discuss that on May 4th. Um, so that will also take a hit to tuition revenue, given, like, you're not increasing tuition and the universities also anticipate fewer students will be coming to their universities in the fall. Um, and that's not unique to Iowa. Universities across the U.S. are facing the same issue. But as the DI also recently reported, um, there's a lot of uncertainty with the state budget, and that also means uncertainty for what the universities will receive in funding from the state for fiscal 2021, which is the budget year that begins Ju- July 1st and then ends July or sorry June 30th 2021 um normally the board of regents uses state funding to kind of gauge like where it needs to set tuition at um to keep like advancing the university's strategic goals and plans um such as that um so they've been following a multi-year tuition model um, and that outlines a base range of tuition increases that students can expect. And that just depends on, like, state funding levels. And the region say, like, they'll take tuition up more if state funding either, like, remains stagnant or decreases. So um, it's common that when state budgets are facing a crunch, that public higher education funding gets on the chopping block course nothing has been proposed yet so we ultimately don't know but it definitely seems that the universities will be facing these budget issues for some time to come hi everyone this is mary hartel a news reporter for the daily iowan and this week i wrote about how the university of iowa is anticipating a drop in new international student enrollment for fall 2020 due to covid19 so basically The number of international students enrolling at American universities and at the UI has been dropping in recent years, and although the UI is expecting to return to normalcy for the fall 2020 semester, UI leaders are anticipating that given current rhetoric surrounding immigration and different travel bans and xenophobia currently happening right now, this decline is going to be exacerbated amid the COVID-19 virus. So I talked with the Dean of International Programs at the UI, Russell Gannam, and he was explaining to me how at this point they don't really know what the drop's going to be. It could be significant, but he described it as a holding pattern, and he was saying that partner institutions or peer institutions in the Big Ten are kind of in a similar situation. He did note, however, that returning international student enrollment isn't expected to decline. And another thing that's worth mentioning is that although international student enrollment has been declining at the UI in recent years, it still accounts for 7.9% of total UI enrollment, and that was um, based off of statistics from the fall 2019 semester, so still a big population, a big part of the UI community here. So another big part of this story was um, how immigration orders are kind of playing a part in international student enrollment. So on April 22nd, President Trump signed an executive order limiting immigration into the U.S. for 60 days in response to the global spread of COVID-19. And I was talking with both Ganem and the Associate Director of International Student Scholar Services, Michael Borcheller, and they were explaining to me how whenever there's an order like this, 
the International Scholar, Student and Scholar Services, or ISSS, dissects the rhetoric and the words of the, the orders very closely to determine if it's going to have a direct impact on international students at the University of Iowa. And Borchiller explained to me that this executive order isn't going to directly impact uh, international students at Iowa because the majority of international students at Iowa are on non-immigrant visas, meaning they are re- planning on returning to their native countries after studying here. He did mention, and Gana mentioned, however, that when a big announcement like this comes out and you just hear, oh, all immigration is done, it can cause um, a little bit of a chilling effect and it can cause for people not to feel welcome. And if people aren't feeling welcome, they're not going to want to come and study in the U.S. And I talked with the Center for Diversity and Enrichment Executive Director Nadine Petty as well, and she kind of echoed the same sentiments as Ganem and Borchiller, telling me that how there was a big drop in international student enrollment in 2017, and she explained how it's impossible to gauge the exact factors contributing to the decline. She suspects um, Trump's anti-immigration campaign rhetoric and election played a role. And then she kind of told me how she suspects that orders like this are could have a similar effect um, on international student enrollment for the upcoming semester. She was like, even she was telling me how even though it's not going to have a direct impact, it does send a message and create an optic that people aren't welcome and that they could have potentially reason not to feel safe. And why why would they want to come and study at a university where there's any doubt um, in their safety or feeling welcome? So another thing I thought would be um, helpful in mentioning was that uh, international students at the University of Iowa pay the same amount as out-of-state students, so non-residents pay $31,793 in tuition and fees. And then going right along with that, 97% of undergraduate international students and 31% of graduate international students fund their education through personal and family funds. Well, only 1% and then 65% of graduate student tuition is funded through the UI, though most graduate positions are employment related, so that might have something to do with UI funding of graduate student enrollment. So they do make up a big chunk of students and um, tuition to the university. And then everything that the people I talked to were really kind of trying to echo is that um, The University of Iowa is a welcoming and safe community and we need our international counterparts to um, really have the type of A1 and universally enriching education that we do. So that's very important when you consider issues like these. Hi, this is Caleb McCullough, the assistant politics editor at The Daily Iowan. Uh, There was a lot of big news out of um, Governor Reynolds' press conferences this week. On Monday, she announced she'd be lifting social distancing restrictions in 77 uh, Iowa counties, um, and this would include allowing restaurants, fitness centers, and retail centers to open at 50% capacity in um, these 77 counties. So this follows her announcement Friday that elective surgeries and farmer's markets will be allowed to resume, um, and that started Monday, and it's kind of in line with uh, her movement toward trying to get Um, to reopen and lift these social distancing restrictions that are in place across the state. Malls are also going to be allowed to open at 50% capacity um, in these counties, uh, but play areas and food courts inside the malls will remain closed. Um, And then additionally, uh, gatherings 
more generally in the state will still be restricted to 10 people or less. But the governor um, announced she would be lifting restrictions on religious gatherings, and that starts uh, Friday as well, um, advising churches to still adhere to social distancing guidelines. Johnson County is not one of the counties that is will be allowed to reopen, so restrictions in Johnson County will remain through at least uh, May 15th. Um, and Reynolds said that the, this decision on which counties to open um, came from looking at case count trends in these counties, um, looking at recovery rates, and the. Um, she said that all 77 counties have seen a downward trend over the last 14 days, although that claim has been challenged. So these new guidelines are coming um, at the same time as just a few days later, uh, the Des Moines Register made public a uh, report from University of Iowa researchers that said that a second wave of coronavirus could be um, coming if the state lifts restrictions too early. And it also comes as the state is seeing a continued uptake in daily reported cases, so it hasn't receiving a fair amount of criticism, um, but also some support. And uh, I haven't heard from restaurants firsthand, but I've talked to a couple of legislators in these counties where uh, these restrictions will be lifted, and they said it's kind of a mixed uh, response as to whether these restaurants um, and other businesses will decide to reopen on Friday. Um, that's just going to depend on what they think they are able to manage. And then later in the week on Thursday, the director of Iowa Workforce Development, Ben Townsend, uh, reiterated some things that Reynolds had said earlier in the week um, regarding people who don't return to work if their business opens up because they are uh, worried that working conditions are unsafe. Townsend said that um, if people do not return to work out of concerns um, about you know being infected with the virus, they still may lose their unemployment benefits. So um, there is a program called Pandemic Unemployment Assistance um, through the federal government uh, and that was created with the CARES Act, which uh, provides a list of different conditions that people would be able to qualify for unemployment assistance if they would usually not be eligible. So that includes being diagnosed with COVID-19, having a member of your household being diagnosed with COVID-19, um, being highly susceptible to COVID and being at high risk, or if you lack childcare, um, due to COVID, she said that you know personal concerns that your workplace environment is unsafe might not be enough to uh, to qualify you for unemployment. Um, the Iowa Code does allow for workers to, to collect unemployment benefits if they quit their job due to unsafe, intolerable, or detrimental working conditions. But Townsend said that this needs to be verified by uh, Iowa Workforce Development investigation, and if they find that um, the workplace is cooperating with the guidelines that they and OSHA have in place, then workers are still going to need to return to work or they will lose their jobless benefits. So this kind of goes in line with these new restrictions being lifted where, you know, if a restaurant opens up again and worker a worker who has been laid off and is recalled back thinks that the conditions may be unsafe, they have a solid chance of losing their unemployment benefits if um, they can't prove that. Hello, my name is Robert Reed, and I'm the sports editor at The Daily Iowan. This past week, I covered the 2020 NFL Draft and wrote about the several Iowa players that were selected in this year's draft. Uh, the first round of uh, the 2020 NFL Draft took place on Thursday, April 23rd, and uh, this year's draft was different than most in that it was a virtual draft. Uh, couldn't have an in-person draft like usual due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, but the first Iowa player that was selected in this year's draft was offensive tackle Tristan Wirfs. He was 
uh, selected in the first round, 13th overall, to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, Buccaneers traded up one spot, actually, to make sure they could get Wirfs, who was the fourth offensive tackle selected in this year's draft. Uh, the 13th spot is a little bit lower than some may have thought Wirfs was going to go. Uh, Wirfs had been projected to be drafted as high as fourth overall to the New York Giants, but again, the Buccaneers were thrilled to get him with the 13th overall pick. Uh, talking to or hearing the comments from Buccaneers head coach Bruce Arians and general manager Jason Light, they were very impressed with Wirfs' performance at the Combine and just the athletic athleticism that he showcased on film. Uh, and they hope to be able to plug him in at right tackle and have him as the starter moving forward. And again, very thrilled with the potential that Wirfs has uh, for the franchise moving forward. Uh, next, for Iowa in this year's draft, uh, defensive lineman A.J. Epinesa was selected in the second round, 54th overall, to the Buffalo Bills. Uh, Epinesa, as opposed to Wirfs, did not have a good combine, and that may have caused him to fall a little bit on draft day. At one time, he was projected to be a very high first-round pick, but uh, slid into day two. Uh, Bills, again, were very happy that Epinesa did fall to them because they got a first-round talent caliber talent player for a second round draft pick uh that pick of epinesa by the bills was uh very well received by a variety of media outlets and teams they really seemed to like the value that they got with epinesa going in the second round and he should either start or see significant playing time at left end for the bills next season Next up is cornerback Michael Ojemudia, who was selected in the third round with the 77th overall pick to the Denver Broncos. Ojemudia, as opposed to Epinesa, is someone who went much higher than he was expected to go. Uh, many thought Ojemudia would be a day three draft pick, but he went on day two in the third round of the Broncos. Uh, the Broncos seemed very impressed with Ojemudia's performance at the Combine. He ran a 4.45 uh, 40-yard dash, which is uh Time you like to see out of cornerback. Uh, Ojemudia was a standout player for Iowa's secondary last season, uh, prov proving to be a shutdown corner on the outside who could also come up and make a tackle. Uh, and he's the latest defensive back that Phil Parker has made into an NFL player, and he should fight for a, uh, a starting spot in the Broncos secondary next season. Uh, it was a little bit, it was a while before we saw another Iowa player selected uh, after Ojemudia. It was an wasn't until the end of the draft in the seventh round when Geno Stone went uh, 219th overall to the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, Stone was a, another standout in the Iowa secondary last season at the safety position. He was flying around making plays all over the field, both in the run and the pass game. Uh, for whatever reason, he fell all the way to the seventh round, and it really was a steal for the Ravens. Uh, NFL Network draft analyst Daniel Jeremiah had Stone uh, ranked as his 12th uh, overall safety and thought the Ravens got great value for him in the second round, or in the seventh round, excuse me. The Ravens do have an extremely talented secondary led by Earl Thomas, the several-time all-pro safety, uh, but they also have all-pro corners Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters in that secondary, so Stone will have to, he has his work cut out for him to earn some playing time or even a roster spot with the Ravens, but uh, he know Stone is someone who definitely knows how to work. He uh, didn't get many offers out of high school and ended up coming to Iowa and becoming an all-Big Ten caliber player, so he's been there before. Also, when I talked to Stone last week, he said the player he looked up to going growing up was Ed Reed, and now he's also a member of the Baltimore Ravens, and he said he's ready to make an impact right away in the NFL. 
Then the final Iowa player who was selected in this year's draft was Nate Stanley. He went 244th overall in the seventh round by the Minnesota Vikings. So he'll compete for a backup quarterback's position behind uh, starter Kirk Cousins. And talking to Stanley last week, he said he actually grew up a Chicago Bears fan. So now he'll uh, put on the purple and gold and fight for a spot with the Minnesota Vikings. That's all we have for the show this week. Special thanks to all of our wonderful contributors. Hope everyone has a happy May Day. And as always, I'm your producer, Andy Mitchell, and this was On the Record. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you next time.